Welcome to the Words of Grace podcast, where we discuss faith journeys, fellowship and stories from across the Diocese of Sheffield. Each week we will feature guests from a broad range of backgrounds and traditions within the Church of England. Our mission is to delve deeper into matters of faith and to ask each guest what has drawn them to Christianity. I'm Ben Fern and I'm here with my colleague and co-host, Paul Sheridan. How are you doing, Paul? I'm very well. Back from your holiday? I am indeed, yeah. Bit more sunburnt than normal, but... Yeah, I thought you had a little bit of a tan. Come on, fill the listener in on where you've been trotting around. I don't want to sound too extravagant, but Barbados. Wow. But I hope Kathy so, Rhodes isn't listening, because I think that's not good But that's, that's because you get the... paid so much out of Common Fund that that's... Uh, uh, that, just we... to clarify to the listeners, <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> the Diocese of Barbados played for you to come over, did they? Or? Uh, if only. Um, oh. No, but I have to apologise from in terms of the carbon footprint. Yeah. I feel a bit iffy about that. But no, it was a lovely time. Um, I'm not a big fan of January or the cold, so it's nice just to sort of escape yeah. the cold for a little bit. But I've not tanned well. It's been more sunburn than tan, yeah. sadly. And along with that, you have bought some treats from Debbie again. I have. So I saw her yesterday when I got back. And um, my only worry is I hope we're not putting too much pressure because she puts pressure on herself. She'll now expect Debbie, to Debbie, there's no the- pressure, but you've really upped your game here. We've got shortbread dipped in chocolate. We have, but you don't have to cook for every single guest you say that but uh, no you don't we'd welcome no. it but you don't have to is the i'd say it's been a nice return yeah yeah it was great to be back in uh, the north we we're just having a little discussion before we came on air of where the north started which could be a whole podcast junction 25 <laughs> <laughs> do you reckon it's junction 25 is that, about like... that maybe 26 26 all right okay. my fellow east midlanders yeah that's, there, we've had this there's no such thing as the east midlanders but uh... paul's wrong in saying that of course <laughs> paul's wrong on a lot of stuff Shall we go to our guest? I think we should, yeah. Yeah. So, the Reverend, so we're going to go with this. Are we going Reverend Canon, Canon Reverend, or just Reverend? Uh, Reverend, yeah, yeah, yeah. whichever. The Reverend Adam Priestley. Adam grew up uh, across the Nottingham and Derby areas, commonly known as the East Midlands, but later later went on to live in London, Sweden, Derby again, Wolverhampton, then Nottingham. Before. Was that a little accent there? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a try. It was yeah. a pathetic try. I, <laughs> apo- I apologise to all of my friends in, in the, the black country, which is an area, yeah. before moving to Doncaster. Adam had various jobs, including the UK's busiest McDonald's. Now, you've thrown a word in here, because you knew my pronunciation isn't always I great. I'll throw in Go on. Grontebeta. That was terrible. <laughs> 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 Nearly had him there. <laughs> it's a grain ute arbitrary. Try that one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll brush it later. Forklift driving and a bin bag machine operator. Notice he didn't have another attempt at that. I, know, <laughs> I couldn't even have no chance. Jesus caused a huge chain in Adam, change in Adam's life during his mid-twenties and things were never the same. After this, he met his beautiful wife, Kim. I've, I've read that, and I don't know where You're I should have my wife beautiful. I don't know. Crikey, Adam is much bigger than me. <laughs> She's a lovely, lovely lady. And, we, and they've got three kids, Asher, Joel, and Lois. He also has an older daughter called Ellie. After his conversion, he went to Wolverhampton University to do a degree in religious studies and philosophy, and also to discern a call to ministry. Adam was ordained in 2014, served his curacy in West Bessica, and did a brief stint as a pioneer at Doncaster Minster before becoming interim minister of St. Paul's Wheatley Park in 2017. He then took on St. Aidan's Wheatley Hills with intake 
don't you just love these names? Don't you get this? It's my life at the Church of England trying to work out because everyone calls them all different things, don't they? And became oversight minister of the newly formed parish of the Resurrection Doncaster, St. Paul's, St. Aidan's, and Intake in 2022. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. That was a great, uh, that was a very long bio because I made it a little bit longer. My right honourable East Midland friend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we shall refer to each other like that all the way through this podcast. And we won't mention which football team you <laughs> followed growing up. I think we'll leap straight in at Resurrection Doncaster. Yeah. So it's a name that people hear a lot around Church House and stuff because there's a lot going on. Yourself involved heavily in that. Tell us a little bit about what your work is there, what you do, and, and the, the sort of setup. Because you've got St. Paul's St. Aidan's intake. It's quite a big ministry there. So what are you doing? I'm slightly worried that people are talking about it so it's much. It's always good. Okay, I'm sure it is. It is, is always good. <laughs> so resurrection was something that came around um, a couple of years ago. Um, it's a newly formed parish. It's the, as it says in the title, it's a bit of Ron Seal, um, does what it says on the tin, but it, it came together, um, as bringing together of three former parishes. So there was St. Paul's Wheatley Park, which I've been at since 2017. And coming into that, uh, that was a church which was just about on the edge of closing. closing. Um, and uh, now, if you, if you look at, pictures or videos on Facebook or whatever it definitely isn't there he's got a congregation of around about 50 or something like that but it's lively it's mad as a box frogs um loads of stuff running in the week um from toddler groups to um uh, midnight uh, midnight midweek uh, church groups uh this food banks running out of there is also this is so much of a list of things um and then so that that basically, um, I went in as an, as an interim minister in 2017, and we had this amazing thing where we just opened the doors and people just started coming in. I'd like to take more, um, you know, more thing for, for actually for the transformation there, but I really don't think I can. I think it was just God, you know, people were ready, people are hungry everywhere. In that. It's quite a, a deprived area. Um, the area is where we serve is kind of like a, um, a deprived area within the the estate itself. Um, the buildings look a little bit different to the rest of the, and it, it's got quite a few social issues. Um, but the people are the people are the people, and they're they're amazing down there. And um, kids, it kind of reminds me of about thirty years ago in some ways, and I say that in the most loveliest ways with that level of community, kids go out in the morning and they're out till it gets dark and sometimes beyond that as well. And um, we just engage with them, you know, play football with them and, and whatever, got into the schools in the local area. And we saw that church grow. It was that for that first couple of months, we prayed, we fasted and, um, and God just started sending people. We opened up an afternoon service, um, which was, yeah, I can't really describe it. It's Anglican, but it's St. Paul's Anglican. And what happened was it just like kind of took off and grew. Um, in During COVID in 2021, um, uh, it was always said that if St. Paul's grew, if God saved it, which he did, um, then uh, it would be joined with St. Aidan's. So we joined with St. Aidan's. St. Aidan's is a very different style of church. It's more traditional. 
um, and uh, I very much felt that we should even make it more traditional than than what it was previously as well. So we used Book of Common Prayer liturgy. It's a slightly newer version of the of the language in that. But um, and so now that is just like that. That was twenty twenty one when I stepped in there. Um, it was a congregation which were quite, you know, quite um, uh, fast in their faith. However, uh, they were diminishing. Um, it seems to be just turning around now. We've got children's work on Sundays, um, every Sunday. Um, we've got a couple of curates now who are really playing into that as well. And um, it's just it's just it's just turning around you just see those stages now we've got lots of unfortunately from when i started there were some new people uh sorry there were some people who were um older um and some of them came infirm some of them unfortunately died but because new people have come in the numbers are just increasing on that um and then we've got intake as well. So intake is an area that used to have a church, but they sold it off, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago or something like that. And then uh, that was quite a traditional church, but they sold that off. And uh, But we've started doing some services in the library there. These services very much remind me of what St. Paul's was like in the early days. We have food with them. We engage, you know, and bring people in from different areas from both churches. And there's a local place called the Wellness Centre. We bring those in. And um, it's about, I don't know, 40 or 50 people in who come along to that, though. They're, they're not every month, but, we, you know, we're increasing those. Can I just take you back, though? Because I know you're being self-deprecating. Uh, when you <laughs> say at St. Paul's, we just opened the doors. You did more than that because the story that you're telling is more than just opening the doors, isn't it? There's something in, there's something, it's not just about opening the doors, there's something intentional, isn't mm -hmm. there, about what you were doing with that, yeah. with that place. Yeah. Expand on, without being quite so self doubt what were the keys, do you think, to turn in that corner? Opening the doors, yes, but more than that, isn't there? There was, I mean... <sighs> I think I'm still I'm still going to go. I don't think it's self-deprecating to say that this was all God, um, and I really mean it when I say it. I'm not trying to be like fakely, you know, self-deprecating or whatever. But it was it was like literally we were in the back praying and fasting, and and um, just offering everything to God and asking Him for a vision of what things would look like. Um, and he seemed to be doing that. And we actually had a, an experience. It was in the um, it was in the November. So I went in the July, I think it was, and it was in the November. And I I heard I was I was I'm, I've got a bit of carry. I'm a weird mixture of churchmanships. Um, but I, I heard a word from God, and it caught me off guard. Really caught me off guard. He said uh, this was in November, and he said prepare for an explosion in December. And I literally panicked. I, I I took a double take, intake of breath, and I was like, "What on earth is? What does that mean? Do we need to check the insurance? What is something going to blow up? What's what's happening? Um, check check you know check everything." Um, and then literally, so we started off the new service in the December, I think it was, and it all just like kind of literally that was the intentional part of it was just follow God in it. Um, the intentional part of it was, was was engage with as many people as possible. The first day I turned up in um, in Wheatley Park, um, I went out for a walk and I went down the street 
and um, it is a deprived area and it has antisocial behaviour problems and things like that. I'm not trying to talk it down, definitely not talk it the other way. Um, but um, I went down what is probably the, the toughest street uh, and you can see it when you're there. And uh, there was a group of lads and I thought, I've got to go down there, I've got to go and engage with it. They started shouting over the um, over the street, oi, oi, because they saw me in my collar. I had a black black collar on it. They said, you're never a vicar, And he was saying, the guy said to me, um, I got to know quite well. He got evicted, unfortunately, but I, I got to know quite well. He said, you're a robber, that's your disguise, that's what you've got in there, And just through being out and about, I was a huge it still is a key part of it but definitely in that particular time of getting to know people um and just being open and people came in and came from other we st paul's also tends to provide i think a place for some other people not everyone but some other people who wouldn't necessarily fit in more or in other areas so some people were christians from other churches or just loosely hanging on and kind of switched out I remember, Adam, one of the first stories I covered when I joined the diocese was meeting you at Wheelie Park and it was talking about this sort of um, revitalization. And you did paint a clear picture as you have now of you know, how difficult it was in terms of lower numbers, but there has been that incredible spark. So I just wanted to ask, because a lot of churches sort of face that similar situation, what advice would you give to turn that around? Yeah, um, I mean, I think one of the key things to that is uh, we used to call it mixed economy. We now call it mixed ecology. Uh, meaning that within one church under one umbrella, you have um, different styles and different formats of church. That's going to be dictated somewhat by the area that you're in and by the people that you've got or whatever. But um, I think I, I think that has been one of the key things. One of the other key things is is um, I I. I didn't make myself completely popular when I did this when I got St. Paul's, but I slashed a few rotors. And one of the things with that was to say, actually, let's not just perpetuate what has always been. Let's see who God is sending, see the ministries that he has gifted certain people with, and then we'll, we'll bolster those, we'll, we'll fire, you know, fuel that fire. Um, so... I think some of these are some of the key things that have, and it's now, I mean, just to bring St. Aidan's into that as well. So we don't have mixed ecology. You can only, I've tried to be in more than one place at once a few times and it doesn't work. <laughs> so um, now what we've got is we've got St. Paul's service in the afternoon at 3 p.m. So completely different time. That also fits with the area that we work in ministering. But then also St. Aidan's is at 10 a.m. in the morning. And we see that as that mixed ecology. So we've actually got three areas. We've got um, St. Aidan's, which we class as our traditional. Um, it's liturgical in a very, you know, sense that most people recognize. St. Paul's is still liturgical, but you wouldn't necessarily recognize all of that in the afternoon. And then we have got what we class as pioneer in intake as well so our our um like kind of banner our kind of church roof stretches over three former parishes um i went to liverpool cathedral some years ago 
um, I accidentally met Bishop Pete. He probably doesn't remember me, but I accidentally met him there because somebody was speaking. He was doing a pioneer thing there, and um, that's what they were doing in, in under one building, under one roof. They had the traditional. They had a Farsi speaking. They, they had a, a pioneer uh, service. So, yeah, I think that's been one of the key things. I remember as well um, during our meeting with you. You told an incredible story talking about the power of prayer mm. around pool tables. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, that was one of the things where uh, we were working with um, uh, a message trust Eden worker. Um, he, he wasn't part of our church, but he was a brewing guy called Pod, Mr. Pod, as they called him in school. Um, and uh, he came and said, um, I think that God is calling us to do something with men's ministry. And it's one of the core ministries that we do still now. Um and um, we we started looking into this. We watched some DVDs from CVM, Christian Vision for Men, with Carl Beach and Nathan Black, a bit brilliant. Um, and we started looking around and saying, what do we need? And pool tables were an obvious thing. And uh, the warden and I, Stuart, we got down to praying. Um, and we started praying and we said, Lord, can we have some pool table? Can we have a pool table, please? And it was like, I kid you not, like we we got off praying and it, I can't remember how long it was, but it, it, it was literally like minutes. The phone went in my pocket. I picked it up and it was the council saying to, uh, saying to me, um, Adam, we've got a pool table. Do you want it? And we were like, me and the warden were just like, what on earth is it? Like, I, you know, that's when your jaw drops. And um, it happened. They were going to give us this thing. And actually they gave it away to someone else. Um, in it just happened like that. They they didn't know that they promised it to us. Um, so then they gave us a brand new one. They gave us um, uh, darts boards. They gave us a whole load of uh, table football. Then I went to another church men's group. And when I went to the other church men's group, the vicar there um, offered us a pool table. So we just went up and picked up a pool table from there as well. So we actually ended up, we've still got them. We covered them over when we're not using them. They're just at the back of church. We've got two pool tables and we're always like, it's amazing. We just asked and God, it felt like a bit of a confirmation really. Um, this is the other thing I would just say as well about um, some of the stuff that we spoke about before is a team of people i really just want to say that as well because it could kind of sound like i've sat in the back fasting and praying on my own and i haven't it's there have been core people there who again god has sent in um people started appearing and it was like these are people who have these gifts and these talents and i've through using them i've seen their faith grow as well and they've discipled other people and so disciple me a lot of the time as well. I need it. <laughs> so we can see where you are with this. I suspect that your conversion experience in your 20s and your life up to that point speaks to this, doesn't it? So, Definitely. Yeah. And that's obvious. That's not, you know, it's not, it's not a word of wisdom there. Yeah, it's just yeah. obvious. So give us a little bit of a flavor of, of your conversion experience and the time around that. And as much as you want to say. Yeah. Um, for legal reasons, I'll be sketchy. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> um, I've got one of those classic, it's kind of classic and very individual uh, conversion stories of a background of, um, uh, I, how do I put it uh, in a nice way on a podcast? Um, so I had, 
I was never addicted to anything in the sense of I wasn't heroin addict. I've got friends who were heroin addicts and things like that. I was never quite like that. But I always had this issue around substances and it didn't really matter to me what it was. Um, in my early, when I was about 40, 15, you know, I started taking drugs and, and things like that. The area where I lived in, which Ben will know of, um, in, in Nottingham, um, it, it was, I think it was after the mines closed, this stuff just washed in and people lost hope. And I just stepped into it. I didn't even really think about it too much. It was just friendship groups and good group of lads, but we had issues. Um, left home at 17, just turned 17 uh, because my behavior was not, it wasn't, it wasn't good. I wouldn't want my children. I often, I lament it now with my parents. I feel so bad for some of the stuff that I put them through. Um, and this, I, I just had this mindset of, and I'll put it really bluntly of just trying to get off my head all the time. And it was, and it created, um, lots of, I let a lot of people down around me. I let a lot of my family down at various times because you become very self-absorbed. And what I realized is, is that I moved, I moved to London when I was 19 but I realized I still took myself with me and I messed that up a little bit. And I went over to Sweden. I had a great opportunity there and I loved living in Sweden. Great experiences, but yet again, I fell into the same patterns always over and over again. Um, so then coming back to England, I was uh, 23, nearly 24, I think. And um, completely just stepped straight into the same pattern i drank every day i took drugs every day i did whatever i did every day uh usually to excess i marvel at my wife because my wife can go out and have two drinks and she's like oh that's enough for me and uh and I, I don't drink anymore just because of this reason i never had that stop button um and it it broke everything around me all the time and then when i was about 23 weirdly I had this call from God um it just it was almost like a dark room and somebody just lit a candle and it just lit up and I was like there's something different here and I don't, I don't get it and this was in Derbyshire it was in a place called Heena in Derbyshire and um I would go up to this church uh it's right on the hill and when I when I was there there was a sense of peace but the vicar was great um, he, he, I used to go in and I can't even imagine what I must have looked like. I was a bit scruffy and I would have smelt very much of the night before. But the vicar would, we'd go into like this little prayer corner that they'd made and he just let me ask questions. And, and, and this search for God, which actually I think was in substance abuse. I, I've heard the saying once where it said that every man who ever walked in a pub, every man who ever walked through the doors of a brothel, every man who ever walked into an opium den or whatever it was, was just seeking for God. And they're seeking for something in places where it's never going to fill that void. And, um, and I started to feel this, but it took me a couple of years, literally a couple of years to start working this out. Um, and I, I was messing lots of stuff up along the way and I, I just wasn't happy. Um, but then there was one night where um, I came home from work and I'd been, I was living in a, in a house of a guy who I met in the pub. Um, 
we drank, we all drank very heavily and he was out and I came home from work and I'd been secretly watching uh, the God channels, uh, <laughs> secretly watching. It was like I was watching something really that I shouldn't be watching. I used to keep my eye on the door, you know, I was like, oh my word, he's like, you know, um, uh, you know, is anyone going to discover me watching God channel? And um, I had so many questions, but then one night um, I just got to that point and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to welcome him in here. And there was a program on, on one of the God channels, something called Team Extreme. And what it was, was these, these guys, they'd all been in prison and whatever. And they're all like uh, breaking, like bending bars and breaking bits of wood and lifting weights. And I love Strongman. I love all of that stuff. But in between, they were speaking about what God had done for them. And what, however they presented that spoke to me in that particular moment. And um, they said, uh, it was obviously a recorded program, but they said, um, if you if you want to give your life to Jesus or you want to ask him in, you know, put your hand up in the air. And before too long, I found myself on my knees in front of a television um, with both arms up in the air. And I literally just had a face full of snot and tears and and I welcomed him in. I still feel emotional when I, when I think about this because I kind of relived this. Yeah. Um, and when I, 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 I remember I was still looking around over my shoulder like, is he going to come out from the pub and find me like crying in front of the telly? Um, and I just remember like waking up the next morning and thinking, what's changed? And I remember looking in the mirror and thinking, what's changed? And I couldn't physically see anything but I knew that something was different. It was kind of hard to articulate. <clears throat> but God started then um, changing stuff. It was a pro. It still is a process. This process of sanctification, but it, and it's still going off. But it was so strong and so much so that like I've got a cousin who comes from quite a tough part of Nottingham, and he just I'll, I'll bleep out the bit where he he said it, but he's like, "What the happened to you? Like, what happened to you?" And the only thing I've got is it was Jesus. I can't tell you anything else. It's, you know, that's it's incredible, Adam. I think that testimony is so powerful, and I'm grateful to you for sharing it. You mentioned there, obviously, your cousin saying what happened to you. What was that initial reaction like from other family and friends then? Because they must have seen and noticed a transformation in you. Yeah, um, I think I think it's probably the same for most people when you're like that. Some people think it's a phase. Um, uh, we had a, a family member who was part of like a religious group. They recently called it a cult, <laughs> which it probably was at the time. It wasn't a Christian thing. It was more like an Eastern spirituality thing. They're in it for quite a while. But another family f member said to me, when you lose your religion like they did, da, 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 yeah. da. Yeah. Um, so I think that was, I don't know whether they still think that, but probably not so much now. But, um yeah so that was one reaction uh for a little while i kept it a little bit secret i was can you remember that song jesus freak um yep. it, yeah. dc talk dc talk uh what will people find out what will people what say, people say, say when they find them a jesus, freak. jesus freak and i was scared i can remember i just um i passed my test shortly after um giving my life to god and i credit that very much to him as well and um uh, 
I remember Drive had this old boggy Rover Metro. It was lopsided and had uh, rust paint all over the back end of it. But I remember driving down, listening to that and the hills of Derbyshire and thinking, I'm going to have to tell my friends about this. Mm. And I was absolutely, for the want of better words, I just did not know. I was like, they're going to take the mick out of me. Uh, They didn't quite the way that I thought that they would, a little bit times and things like that but um so there was that and then there are other people who just supported me um i mean the vicar again at the church where i went amazing he just supported me through things and i was quite messy so his grace and his patience with me uh he he had some chats with me particularly around marriage and my life with what I was doing and you know I should be married uh, and he, he had some you know uh, but I'm really thankful that I had that support as well. Do you still stay in contact with that vicar? Um, I do I don't see him all the time he's up near Penrith now um, and uh, we went to stay near him in he, he bought a house up there as well and we went to stay a couple of years ago and he was so good seeing I found a picture recently he took me to a Christian festival when I was when I was quite new in the faith, and I'm so thankful to to him and to his wife as well. She was ordained as well. So thankful to them for for what they did, having the tough conversations with me, as well as not not just saying you know Adam just come and do whatever you want. They they had tough conversations. <laughs> one particular one where I didn't respond great actually, but yeah, um, so thankful to him. So when you're throwing open the doors at St Paul's. And you're you're encountering people that you can see. Yeah. Yes, and I know where you're going, and I yeah. know what you're about, and I I can recognise yourself in me. Yeah. One of the things I can sense there is that you know that's not for some people. There's a conversion moment where they go from from one kingdom to the other, and it's like that. I'm never going to do that again, and they don't. For a lot of people, and you know, I've worked with people in the past. It's a journey from that point, even after that conversion experience. Yeah. They're surrounded yeah, perhaps by chaotic lives. Yeah. Their friends have perhaps got chaotic lives. Yeah. It's not so straightforward, is it, that it, there's a journey to be taken after that moment, isn't there? There is. There is. I mean, we often separate these things, don't we? You know, where um, we become justified on this point of, you know, we believe, we give our lives over, and we're justified by sacrifice of Jesus. Um, and then there's this process uh, a, a sanctification um, where it's quite often quite a painful journey uh, because it means giving stuff up and it means actually giving stuff up which we often sometimes feel is the very core of who we are you know some of these patterns of behavior which had grown up you know um, I didn't I didn't grow up with them with my parents you know even but somewhere I'd adopted them and brought them in and they become really just these these things they're ingrained in your life aren't they very much so very much so and and so um yeah that process of sanctification and you know renewing of the mind um is is huge in this i mean very early on i started reading god's word um i used to go and read in the bath i, I lived in a house which i rented a room from the guy who i, I mentioned it when i met the pot and um so I just used to go and read in the bath. I used to read the Bible. And 
I look back now and I almost laugh at some of my exegesis of scripture. But God spoke to me clearly uh, and plainly and uh, where I was. And there were things that he just, it felt like a mirror that I was holding up against myself. It was, I just saw it almost felt like it was speaking directly. You know, scripture speaks indirectly because it was written to someone else before us, but this was a very close um, the way that it, it, it spoke. And there were literally times where I'm like, oh, like, yeah, it's, you know, you know, you know that point where um, Josiah um, commissions King Josiah, he commissions uh, for them to go and clean out the temple mm -hmm. and they find the book of the law and they bring it to him and he tears his clothes because you realize he's like, oh, you know, we're not doing what the Lord has said. And that was what, that was, many of those moments I still have them because you still like you're reading through scripture and God convicts you of something in you know but. and you clearly I mean showing this passion now and the passion I've seen since I've known you other that this um witness is powerful witness to other people um one thing that comes to mind is a couple of years ago at Dev Day if you remember this was during Way Faith Fortnight mm. uh, Hannah Sandoval Lights of Christ Enabler was doing interviews with people you had a um, Jesus Loves You in German jumper on, I remember. Yes, yeah. Uh, my German is probably not very good. Uh, it's better than my Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Jesus Loves You. I'm not even going to try and say in German. Jesus Loves You in German. Um, if you look today, the jumper I've got here, it's, it's just a bit of a thing that I love doing. The jumper, I, I, obviously, you can't see on the podcast, um, but it's got an icon from the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, and I've got various different ones, which um, uh, I've I've got from Jesus and Mary and Jesus and 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 um, Sacred Heart of Jesus, which for an evangelical is a weird thing to have. Um, but I I find this, you know, it's like I can evangelize without even having to open my mouth. People see that um, and. They do question, you know, what on earth is that? And sometimes you meet other Christians, you know, I've been walking around home bargains. I love home bargains, you know, other shops are available, but I have sponsors. They're all available. I, I love B and M as well. <laughs> if hope because home bargain shuts a bit earlier. So uh, so I have sometimes I've, very ecumenical. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so home bargains to me is therapy, but so I'm often walking around there and people I catch people looking at it as well. And I've had conversations where people just look and they ask you about it or um, that Jesus uh, loves you in German one. I'm walking past a pub and having a brief conversation with a guy there as well. So yeah, it, I find it a, g a great way to witness. I've got some um, shoes on as well with crosses on the side. I've got some oh, others yeah, that say yeah. Jesus King. You just, what an, it's an easy win. It's, it's it's an easy win and I love just you know showing you know we don't always have to wear collars vicars wear collars but you can wear your faith and I think that wear your faith fortnight or whatever you know by doing that stuff is a it's a great thing too so post-conversion moment life's turning turn turning around you you, you end up going to Wolverhampton University to do a degree in religious studies and prestigious philosophy. Wolverhampton well, <laughs> don't knock it we've I got some it. listeners in Wolverhampton <laughs> and so that kid that was you know 14 15 living life on a fast lane at that point mm. 
did that kid ever see that moment coming going to university never but also never <laughs> no and then when you went to university how did that affect you because that was that was another transformational moment isn't it for a, yeah. for I'm, I'm not being disrespectful but a kid with that background on that road yeah. meets jesus and then suddenly ends up doing a degree in religious studies in philosophy yeah what was that like so um i mean i <laughs> yeah, I, I never saw it coming. I don't ever remember one point at, at school um, of them ever saying university to me. I'd, I, I'd heard, I knew it was a thing, but I had no idea. And I must have known some people because I knew some people that came like army officers and things. So they must have like gone to university. There must have been a few people, uh, but I never did that. And then after conversion, uh, I've say my wife i met my wife i already knew her she worked in a shop i used to go and buy my cigarettes from my wife that's how i know her i used to go and uh buy oh i won't mention the brand or the brands are available uh i used to go and buy my cigarettes yeah. from i think we'd struggle with many <laughs> cigarettes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll not mention them i might have to float uh, that past the coffee department <laughs> but um so um i met my wife and um in the shop uh where i lived and there was a shop slightly closer but i quite like my wife uh before she was my wife and um uh she was on her way she was going to go to university to um uh go and study sign language so she's a sign language interpreter and um she went for a year i met her she went for a year and then uh she said to me i i felt this call but it was a weird thing i i mentioned it before i looked in the mirror and i just didn't understand it when i thought vicar I didn't see that. There was a mismatch of what I saw in the mirror. What I, I, I still feel like that. Um, but there was a, a weird mismatch. But my wife said to me, why don't you go to university? To which I said, well, what do they really do at university? Um, but I kind of worked out that I could take three years as I looked into, I could take three years. I could have this discernment period of, am I being called to ministry or am I just crazy? It would give me a bit of time. I also had this weird thing that the Church of England might take me more serious if I had a degree. Um, <laughs> if I just said, oh, yeah, I work in a bin bag factory. Nothing wrong with working in a bin bag factory. But anyway, um, so um, it was through that. So the religious studies I knew I wanted to do, um, it was actually my highest grade when I, was, when I did GCSEs. And I loved it weirdly from a non-Christian kind of background to love it, but I did. And... So, and then philosophy, I was actually going to do English, but, um, and then I just ticked philosophy, no prayer or anything about it. I just did it, got there, and I, I absolutely loved uni. It was uh, before, like I said, I'm not knocking it, gave me, you know, bought my my, my bread for my life, but um, uh, I went from working in a bin bag factory to going to university, and I loved it. Wolverhampton was so good for me, and we got linked up. I, I had a, an experience before where I knew I was going to go to Wolverhampton Uni. Um, so while I was over there looking at it, um, I went and prayed in the main church there. And um, I asked God and said, right, what do you want me to do next? What's next here, God? And I got up and I walked to the back of the church and I didn't expect it to happen so quick. There was like a, it, it wasn't a light, but it almost was like a light. Um, shone on this um, uh, uh, leaflet at the back and this leaflet as I went up to it I didn't know what it was and I asked there's a woman cleaning some windows and I asked her what's this and she I don't 
it turned out to be street pastors. Um, and I went back to Derby. I was living in Derby at the time. And I shot off an email uh, to them. Said, I've got no idea what this is. Just feel like God is doing something. Um, heard nothing back from them for about three or four months. The very morning when I'd, I moved into Wolverhampton, the very morning after, um, I woke up first morning there. I got a phone call from, oh, you sent us an email. Uh, would you like to da, 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 come out? And so that I, I went and that led to us um, going to, a, it was actually a fresh expression of church. Uh, we first met in a, in a church and we met in a coffee shop and there was a few other there. And that was transformational alongside that time as well. So there was a couple of things which happened was my study, it felt like God just opened up my eyes. It opened up my heart. Um, it was really interesting looking at all other religions, all of the philosophies as well. And to see that uh, my growing Christian faith actually withstood any of these other thought systems, any of that type of stuff. It was then it just shone out and it grew and grew and grew. And then the fresh expressions that we went to, they were just that was transformational in the sense that they love God and as well as loving God. A lot of them were quite young. It was actually built as an eighteen to thirties church, which is kind of weird to when you think about it. But um um we Weekends in Magaluf. <laughs> Weekends in Wolverhampton. <laughs> it's very it's similar in a lot of ways. <laughs> doing street pastors. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but that was key. Uh, oh, my word. And just being around people who love God, you know, they say iron sharpens iron, but that just really sharpened me. Just. I'm losing words now. I'm losing because that time was so transformational. There's so much stuff. And I don't think there's one thing I can just pick out of it at that time as well. So the vicar there uh, was the vicar. I'd only met him a few times and I was actually out on street pasture. And he said, to, I decided to keep my calling very, very secret, like extremely secret and not say anything. And uh, within a couple of weeks, that vicar said to me, we were out on street pastures. He said, are you feeling a call to ministry? And I was no, no, uh, you know, like kind of choking on what he was saying. And then uh, he said, and then he annoyed me so many times in a great way. He's, he's a really good vicar where he, he annoyed me. He used to meet people in the street and say, this is Adam. He's going to be a vicar one day. And he was the one <laughs> where when I was by the end of my time in Wolverhampton, I was, I was trying to run away from the calling a little bit. And he kept just pushing me and nudging me and poking me about it and really pushing me forward. So... Again, there was there was a few different strains of things happening. Um, yeah, he actually contacted the DDO on my behalf and got the DDO to come down to the church. <laughs> he was he was brilliantly pushy. <laughs> so yeah, and you're also we talk about nominative determinism before. We've already had Dan Christian on the podcast, and you're also Adam Priestley. So an ideal name for <laughs> me, Chris Bishop on there. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So was it clear to you then by then you you agree with that sort of pushing from the vicar on the street pastors team that you were going to go into ministry yeah so i mean what happened was a couple of years down the line uh, i did three year degree um and two years in i was starting to say maybe i'll just go and become a teacher or something like that but he kept poking and and i did i started to look at so that last year at university was also me going and visiting the the ddo um 
and going and um, having conversations and, and whatever. So I went through in about one year, um, I went through the process. Um, I had a BAP at the uh, Bishop's Advisory Panel at the end of that. So just as I was kind of um, finishing uni, I then I'd gone through my BAP and then I went straight on. So I finished, I, I often say it, was, it felt like I'd, I'd done a marathon doing uni. I put my all into it, you know, academically, I did surprisingly well for that. Um, and, um, but I, I, I felt like, whoa, I'm, I'm absolutely shattered. And then they said, right, now you're going to college and you're going to do another three year, uh, three years at college. And that was a bit like, oh. so it felt like it was someone that said, oh, you've just finished a marathon. And then they say, no, it's only, you only done half marathon, go and do the other half. Um, but I went to St. John's College in Nottingham for another three years and did, uh, various degrees and a master's and things like that. So I felt very privileged, uh, yeah, to to then come into the academic side of it, which I, I loved. I mean, yeah, I was ready for a break at the end of all of that. Um, and just, you kind of, by that time, you're itching for ministry as well. And I'm actually on sabbatical now um, at this time. So I've got three months until uh, Holy Week. And uh, and now I'm 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 re I'm back into my reading. <laughs> I've been reading lots of academic books and really enjoying. But I think it's took me about ten years to wanted to get back into the books again. So, yeah, fantastic. I mean, Adam, we've covered a lot there, and I think you've been a real powerful witness. I think it's been a privilege to hear you talk about your sort of origin story and faith and how that's sort of gone forward. Um, I think now we're going to come to some sort of more lighthearted questions. Well, strongest man, obviously, is a. Uh, uh, do you do you watch that? Are you actively engaged? Are you colouring atlas stones around the place? How does that work <laughs> out? I'm impressed that you know the atlas stones and um, so I mentioned before. I didn't know that I love. I don't uh, know what you're trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was wondering. I was wondering. Do you even lift, bro? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I don't. <laughs> um, so yeah I, I don't know for quite a few years now. Just I remember watching it as a kid, and then at some point, um, I don't know. 12, 13 years ago, I just got in to watch it. I grew up as a Forest supporter, as we okay, said earlier on as well. So so obviously I'm not going to continue watching football, so I need to pick something else. So um, yeah, World's Strongest Man, I do go and watch it. Um, I, I go and there's one in Sheffield, there's yeah. Britain's Strongest Man, there's one in uh, Leeds, Europe's Strongest Man, there's one in Madge. There's so many now. So I actually um, I subscribe to a, a, um, a live thing of it on online you can get an app and you can watch them all now so i go and watch some but then i watch some online as well yeah, yeah i mean it was to be fair it was primetime tv probably when my kids were about 20 years ago i suppose but my kids particularly we used to watch it on a saturday evening and stuff yeah. like it was real primetime tv wasn't yeah, it yeah he's yeah, really growing though i love Is it. it i do i do like going to the gym and it motivates me to, to get back in the gym and go. <laughs> do you have a gym playlist when you're there? Uh, I actually, I'm one of the weird people who doesn't listen to any, I just listen to whatever's on the, the thing. And uh, I often, uh, I don't write my sermons so often, they're done in my head while I'm in the gym. I'm a late night gymmer. So when, when I'm not on sabbatical, I often go to the gym half 10, 11 at night or something wow. like that. I know, I know it's, it's a bit of a weird thing. Yeah, a bit of a night owl, me. Many gym analogies in your sermons at all? Any uh, yeah, they do. <laughs> they do come out. The treadmill of life when you're Bind, on the treadmill. Binding the strong man. And, yeah. 
So, go on then, music. Particular sorts of music. Music. Uh, I've got a weird eclectic mix. Uh, I love... Uh, the, the other day, I got back into listening to, like, 90s clubland music. I loved all of that. I used to love all of, like, the happy hardcore in the 90s and drum and bass, and uh, I got into rap. Um, so I still love all of that. I do like listening to uh, Christian like versions of the good, not the cheesy stuff. Like you could, there's actually some good Christian music artists. Uh, and then weirdly, <laughs> much go to on, go on, name a cheesy one. <laughs> oh, there's there's plenty. Of, yeah, yeah. I like big books, and I cannot lie, which is <laughs> which is the bar. Yeah, yeah. but um. My my kids have been miffed lately because uh, from my little prayer room, which I have, I've got a tiny little prayer room under the stairs. It's actually a shoe cupboard, but it doubles for a prayer room. They get Gregorian chant recently, uh, but there are some remixed Gregorian <laughs> chants as well. So it's got a bit of a <laughs> in the background as well. <laughs> so. And then you're on sabbatical. Yeah. And you've started to, not saying started to read again, but you've put some reading out there. So what are you what are you reading at the moment? Yeah, well, I mean, in truth, I never actually stopped reading. I, I um, one of the things that God gave me back when uh, I used to come home in an, in an evening having a clear head was reading. Um, so, uh, but on sabbatical, um, I have been what I've been wanting to look at for a while now is the Church Fathers. Um, I. I realized that I knew quite a lot around Reformation theology and and just contemporary theology, and I knew scripture fairly well. Uh, but there was that era, there was that era um, of the first few centuries after scripture. So I started reading like the Apostolic Fathers uh, and some of the other Church Fathers as well. And I've been looking into that, so looking into. Um, some of the theology around um, uh, communion, uh, some of the theology. Um, well, there's just so this. Once you once you delve into that, it starts very quickly spreading out. So, looking into orthodoxy as well, what the orthodox should uh, look into the schism, but a bit more before. They, even though the first few hundred centuries, they were defining who Jesus were exactly. Oh, Jesus was, weren't they? They yeah. he wasn't. It wasn't read. It wasn't as taken then. Yeah, they just they were searching for who Jesus was yeah. and what it was all about. Yeah, but amazingly as well. So there, there was stuff as I started reading them where I thought this sounds really familiar, and then there was other stuff where I was like, this is not quite how I how I would understand this, and I don't know quite where I've where I've missed this, um, but they're all saying the same stuff. Um, so I'm having to take quite seriously now, um, looking into and saying, it does my faith match? It's not, it's not that it has to match exactly the fathers, you know, I'm a 21st century Western man, blah, blah, blah. Um, however, uh, certain streams of thinking and understanding, yeah, I, I just wanted to kind of look at, and I'm really wrestling at the moment. There's a huge wrestle going off with how do how do I understand this or where do I where do I incorporate this in what do the thirty nine articles say about this and actually are they yeah they yeah they, they, I, I don't want to get too deep theologically but it is it's 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 doing a bit of a job on me at the moment at the risk of sounding a bit too partridge are there any go to hymns that you'd select or listen to. 
go to go to hymns. I love, I love a Ben Gear change. <laughs> <laughs> Just to keep us grounded. You know. I like big books and I cannot like. No. Uh, <laughs> um, so again, a weird mix. Uh, I mean, some of my you know favorite like kind of more evangelical ones are in Christ alone. I discovered. Great shout out. <laughs> I discovered. Um, uh, is that together for the gospel two album there's one called behold our god and at my kids got absolutely annoyed because alexa was just playing that while i was in the shower <laughs> constantly and i was loving that but i do i mean i love my wesley's i love and can it be you know that kind Another of a good show yeah yeah that that kind of conversion uh kind of understanding in their eyes so I, I love it. I love discovering, rediscovering some of the older classic hymns. And I really love St. Aidan, being at St. Aidan's for that one as well, is because some of the more older hymns, they come through, they're strong, and they're just like, you know, you just sing in the, the words and the hair stand up on the back of your neck and all your theology starts tingling. <laughs> You've made mum very happy as well because she lives in Christ alone. Yeah. She's more traditional normally with hymns uh, like me, but yeah, she loves that hymn. So yeah, yeah. you're in her good books now. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. It's been fantastic to speak to you. Um, there's so much there to dig into. Um, it really, really good time. So thanks so much for coming. Thank you. And particularly on your sabbatical, come in and spend some time with oh, us. It's, it's been great. It's a pleasure to venture out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, Ben, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Yep. Don't forget to rate us on the app. Yes. On any, wherever you get your podcast from, you can rate us. Preferably um, five out of five, but vote with your conscience. Yeah. You vote with your conscience, obviously. Yeah. Uh, there's a five general out of five, then. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. And words <laughs> of grace at uh, sheffield.anglican.org to get in touch. Uh, but it's been a great time. Thanks, Adam, for coming in. It's been great. And good to see you back from your holiday, Ben. Thank you. A little bit more sunburn, but that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Thanks, everybody. Bye.